0: Welcome to the Talk of the T-Town podcast, where we discuss all things track cycling. Broadcasting from the Valley Preferred Cycling Center, I'm your host and Executive Director, Joan Hanscom, along with my co-host, Athletic Director, Andy Lakatosh. Welcome to the Talk of the T-Town podcast. Uh, I'm Joan Hanscom, the executive director here at T-Town, and I'm joined by my co-host, Andy Lackatosh, director of athletics, uh, who is again calling in from sunny Southern California, even though it is snow flurries and incredibly dreary back home. Um, We're happy to talk to Andy anyway. Uh, And this week's guest I'm super excited to talk to. It is Shane Klein. Um, Shane Klein, for those of you who don't know, um, enjoyed a prolific career on the road, um, including winning uh, the Dana Point Grand Prix, uh, the Thompson-Bucks County Criterium, um, stages of the Cascade Cycling Classic, Tour of Somerville. The list is long, let's put it that way. Uh, Shane knew his way around a criterium in the day. Um, but he got his his start racing bikes here at the track. Uh, I, I believe when you were 13 years old, Shane, you started uh, racing here at T-Town. Um, And at the end of his road career, he decided he was going to chase some Olympic dreams uh, and went for the USA Cycling's fledgling men's endurance program that was brought back under Derek Bouchard Hall uh, and had hoped to go to Tokyo for 2020. But the endurance program sadly did not qualify a spot in for the games and so as a result we've not seen Shane on his bike since his victorious win at the Madison Cup here at the end of the 2019 season um, where Shane was partnered with another uh, T-Town legend Bobby Lee so we are delighted to have you here Shane thanks for coming on the pod
1: it's great to be here. It's uh, nice to actually talk to people. <laughs> I feel like I talk to the same five people every day and that's about it.
0: And you talk to your adorable new puppy. So for our listeners, um, Shane just showed us or introduced us to his beautiful new German Shepherd puppy. I apologize to our listeners that this is not a video podcast because you would all be ooing and awing the way we were over the very, very cute puppy dog <laughs> so and if i
1: don't respond quickly it's because i'm chasing her with whatever she's tearing up
0: whatever whatever expensive piece of electronics she's decided to eat um, as they are wont to do um, so shane yeah tell us what you've been up to in the in the bizarre year of covid um,
1: yeah yeah it's uh it's crazy to think that it's been a year now um it was kind of weird how covid came in with the way the track program was going, because it kind of made my transition a little bit smoother, a little bit easier, as sad as that is. Um, I would say I've been doing a lot of woodworking. I've been working for my dad now full time. Uh, We have a family furniture business. The business has been here for since the 40s. He took it over from his uncle, so I'm third generation at this point. Yeah, I'd say like winter came in, the track season was kind of winding down. Everyone was up in the air, whether or not you were going to get selection for world championships. And I didn't. Um, And then basically from there, I was like, all right, well, what's the next move? So I just dove right into woodworking full time at the moment, just kind of see what I was going to figure out if I wanted to go back to the road at all, if I wanted to continue to pursue the track stuff or if I just wanted to just pack it up all together. Um, but then COVID came in and it kind of forced all of that stuff to happen either way. So it made my transition a little smoother to kind of taking a step back. But then now a year later, you start to get the itch again. Yeah. And you're like, well, should I keep racing my bike?
0: Well, because you're still young, says the old lady in the room. Um, but just for our listeners, so so Shane talked about his business and uh, the woodworking business. And that family business is uh, Walnut Street Woodworks, if I'm not mistaken. And Correct. if you follow Shane's Instagram feed, you can see that he makes a lot of beautiful, beautiful pieces, um, including something that I should probably buy, the espresso tamper, uh, <laughs> which, uh, <laughs> which we were joking before we started recording. I've had six shots of espresso this morning, so maybe I shouldn't buy one. Um, but yeah, talk to us about that, Shane. How did you craft that skill?
1: Uh, that I think was just the, uh, I was being, I was fortunate to grow up in the household that I did because my dad always had us all be a part of the business. Even when we were young, like if you wanted to come out in the woodshop and you wanted to learn some things, or if you just wanted to make your own stuff for fun, whether it was like, you know, building a birdhouse, he was always there and helpful with it. So I kind of had the opportunity to just dabble in it my entire life. Um, and I just kind of took to it. I always enjoyed it. I always kind of had the plan when I'm done racing bikes, I'm going to be a furniture maker just because it's something I love to do. It's in a way it's, uh, it's kind of similar to bikes without the, uh, racing aspect, I guess, but like, it takes a lot of time and a lot of patience. What I always say, like anyone that wants to do any woodworking, it's not something you can rush. And that's just like building fitness and bike racing. It yeah. takes time and patience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've seen you. Speaking of, not that I stalk you on social media, um, but I've seen you uh, tease up things like bike rides again that you hadn't been teasing up for a while. Um, so you've been getting out on your bike, and you mentioned getting a bit of an itch to to perhaps come back to bike racing. What do you think's going to happen in twenty twenty one, Shane? What you cooking up?
1: Yeah, so I'm actually going to be riding on Team Skyline. Nice. Uh, that kind of just came about in the sense. Dewalt's been talking to me for years. He's always like, "When are you going to like stop doing all the full time bike racing and big races and just like relax a little bit?" And but then still, you know, be competitive, still race, but on a little smaller of a scale. And it just kind of things lined up for this. I was out training one day and I was riding with a good friend of mine, Nate Moser. He's actually another local. He lives just outside of Valley. Uh, And he was just talking about cycling the scene and how everything's so rough these days with COVID coming in, title sponsors, leaving races, like a lot of, it's just, it's a hard time. And it just sounded really bleak. And I'm listening to this young kid and I'm like, man, this kid, like, he's debating right now if he wants to keep doing this when he never really even got a shot. And that was hard for me to kind of swallow. And then at the same time, I actually was talking to Ryan about the team and I just kind of concocted up this plan. I was like, well, maybe we can, I'll talk to Ryan and maybe we can pull someone like Nate, a kid who has tons of talent, like a big future ahead of him, but just doesn't see any place to go for opportunities.
0: Yeah, And
1: kind of worked a thing out there where, we could bring Nate on board and I came on board as well. Cause I really want to help shepherd some of the younger guys on the team. Uh, there's a few guys that just either don't have a lot of experience or they're just younger. And I think I really can play a key role in, you know, teaching these guys some things I've had the, uh, the opportunities to race kind of all the big races in the States and a little overseas. And these guys are just getting into that level where if you don't, have someone to guide you, it's easy to get lost in the mix. Yeah. And I'm hoping to kind of be a bit of that mentor for them.
0: Yeah. It's super interesting that you say that because uh, a few episodes ago we had Jim Miller on the podcast and he was talking about that in in a way in the context of what the ODA program is designed to be and how Mm -hmm. really there are so few development teams in the U.S. right now that if you if you don't get a spot on a, if there's 10 spots and you're the 11th kid, there's no place for you to go. Um, And and that was sort of his genesis of the ODA program. But it's great to hear that there are other teams and other clubs that are stepping in to try to take that next step of of development because, you know, as a person who's been in the sport for longer than I am going to admit out loud on a podcast, um, it's, it's a, it's a little scary to see that that development pathway isn't as robust as um, we maybe need it to be. Well, not maybe as we need it to be. Um, But that's one of the what that's one of the reasons that that brought me here to T-Town. You know, I was working for USA Cycling and and I wanted to see the development of the sport continue. And I thought there was a real opportunity here at T-Town to be impactful in a way that I wasn't feeling at USA Cycling um, because of things like the kids' programs here. And you are a product of the kids' programs here. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I think that that's, I think that's one of the amazing things about this place. You're a product of the kids' programs. Andy Lactosh is a product of the kids' programs. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about that. Talk to us about how your experience growing up here at T-Town impacted your development as a racer.
1: Yeah, I guess just to even touch back on that with the future of, you know, kids in the sport, uh, that's kind of what I see too. Like what you were saying is I think there are a decent amount of junior programs out there to get kids into that entry level, to get them riding bikes. You know, they can hire a coach and just learn the basics. For me, where I can really see it from, you know, racing at the highest level in the States and looking down a little bit at the kids coming up as I can see that there's there's that gap between the first few years of your junior years and being able to step into the bigger races and make that transition. Like I saw it so much with my junior career even, like I was fortunate to have great support, I had great programs, and the transition for me wasn't as bad, but I saw so many kids that were just as talented burnt out by the time they were 19 years old and then literally quit the sport of cycling before they even really got a taste of what cycling really was. I mean, I didn't really get a taste of it until I was 24. I think that was the first year I started to do some of the bigger stage races and it just opened up my mind. I was like, Oh, there's a whole nother side to this. Like I used to just, you know, race crits and do some track stuff. And then I got to some of these big stage races and I was like, hold on like there's a lot more to this sport. And that's what really drove me. And I feel like that's the hard part because it's hard to get riders through that development stage of their early twenties, where it's kind of, it's not make or break, but it is in a sense that it does break a lot of them. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, there'll be more opportunities in the near future for that age group, not just juniors. Cause I mean, you need them to, you need the junior programs, obviously, because they won't even get to that point if you don't have those programs. But I do think that a lot of the time it's in that middle age there where kids lose either attention or they get burnt out and that's where you lose it. Yep. Um, so I'm hoping, yeah, we can work on developing stuff like that. And then as for going back to the T-Town circle and growing up here, it was great. I mean, my first BRL coach was Bobby Lee. Like, Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I got to learn so much stuff at such a young age and took to it so quickly because I had such great mentors around me. Uh, And that even goes like then when I made the transition from the track to the road, there was just a local group of you know either old school pros or even current pros that can take you under their wing and help you learn the ins and outs of bike racing. For me, I had a huge mentor in Kyle Wamsley who was a PA local who raced on a bunch of different teams. I mean, he was a rock star bike racer. he won like Fitchburg when it was like a big deal. And we ended up being teammates on Bissell and that guy showed me so much. Like I wouldn't have gotten through two years on Bissell without Kyle. Like, and that's, that's exactly what I see right now is that's, that's where I think I can play a role because I'm still so fresh out of the current racing scene. I'm not, you know, I haven't – it's not like it's been 15 years since I raced a bike. Like, I was just racing. I still know the riders that are in the races. I still know the races. And I feel like I can play more of a role in development riders' lives because I'm still kind of current with the current racing scene.
2: I find it really funny, Shane. Isn't it? Isn't it hilarious how your first BRL coach was Bobby Lee and then your last race at this point in T-Town was winning Madison Cup with Bobby Lee? of, of all things. Isn't it funny how small of a world it is and how that works out?
1: And just how talented Bobby is
2: (laughs) that that, that that. too. And the fact that Bobby just, just won't retire, right? Like I'm messing around riding and and, and having some fun. You're talking about taking a step back, not being as serious. And then we got Bobby who's definitely still fitter than I am. (laughs) He could probably step into a race on a Friday night, any night and, you know, go off the front and, and do some damage. So he's the, um, He's the most heavily trained retired cyclist I've ever met in my entire life by far. But speaking of the whole retirement thing, I actually wanted to kind of we we touched on it earlier and I wanted to pick your brain a little bit because this is a, a very real and like tough thing to accept. But, you know, let's start with how, how old are you now?
1: I'm 31. I'll be 32 this year, though.
2: Yeah. So, like, by no means are, are you or I at the, like, end, end of our career, right? But we're not in that, like, developing, hey, you know, I'm going to make my way into the tour. I'm going to, you know, hop on a world championship podium. Um, but go back to, like, a year ago, right? And you're contemplating retirement. And coming from a guy who's retired and come back four or five times, <laughs> like, I'm very familiar with that with that thing. And, and I think it's something that's not addressed enough because in, in your mind, it's like, I wanted I want your thoughts on this. Like you define yourself as Shane Klein track racer, the crit race or whatever it is. And I'm at this level. And then stepping back from that, I think it's great that you found this purpose in this new team. That's going to keep you in sport. I love when people that are longtime people in the sport don't leave right? Like love Matt Baranowski to death, but it broke my heart. That guy was so much talent through so much of the sport through all of the community programs real finished. And, and he, he, you know, just bounced. I think it was great. He moved on with the rest of his life and he's having you know tremendous success there, but it's, it's sad to see people that were so into the sport just leave. So I'm happy you're staying, but going back to what, what was that contemplation and that internal conversation like for you of like, you know, it was there fear around if I stop completely and I'm no longer a cyclist, was that a relief in your mind or was that a little bit fearful in your mind?
1: Uh, Well, I guess I have to talk a bit of the ugly side of cycling to really explain that thought process for me. And honestly, like, it's something I don't really talk about a lot, especially when you're fighting for positions on big road teams is I've had a lot of bad injuries and my body is, Pretty blown out. <laughs> um, yeah, like I have... I broke my femur in 2015. And I, I have a big old like 15-inch rod that is down my femur bone. There's a bolt that goes in the end and stuff like that. Like I feel that that rod every single day. I step out of my bed in the morning and like I can feel pain. Um, I had a pretty bad crash in Portugal. Then like a year or two after that, where I really rung my bell really bad and I couldn't do anything basically for two months. Like I couldn't even look at my phone and it's left me with, yeah, it's left me with some stuff. Like I definitely felt like a different person after that. Uh, so it's it's a bit of the ugly side of the sport that also was pushing me towards like, well, if I don't have this big goal, why am I putting my body through this? Because I spend an hour every day after I train just working on my body so I can literally ride my bike the next day.
2: Yeah, your four uh, hour ride turns into five plus exactly. and everything else you blow your entire day on one session.
1: Yeah. And it's not like I can skip days. Like if I don't do it, I'm so sore on the bike the next day. Like my hip just feels like this creaky old door hinge and it's just things that I have to deal with every day. And I know I'm going to still have to deal with this stuff after I'm done racing bikes, but the difference is I don't have to perform at the highest level while dealing with it. So that to me was like a big stress relief. Uh, So I think I, I was taking all that into account. I was taking into account that I'm now married. Uh, I have a wife that I told her, like, I'm making the push for this Olympics. But then after that, I'm going to step back. I mean, I, she knows, like, I'm never going to stop riding a bike or anything like that. But I just made a promise to her, like, I can't keep, you know, leaving for months on end and pushing our family farther and farther away when <laughs> I'm also at the point where I want to start moving forward on that stuff. Uh, no kids yet. Don't don't worry there. <laughs> but well, I take that puppies, back. He's just got his balls. So, right. Yeah, that's uh, our first child now. Dogs count. The, the test. <laughs> so yeah, there's just there was a lot of things in the equation. I do think that the the crashing part was a big one of them. Um, I didn't really want to continue to put her and my family through that every time I come back from a bad crash you could just see it in their face. They're like, why, why are you doing this? Um, so I had to think about that a lot, but then I also, a lot of those bad crashes that for some reason they always happen in stage races. Like those road races, they're just dangerous. There's just so many unseen obstacles and dangers that you'll never know, especially without radios nowadays. That's one thing that I don't like about when they took radios out is you never really got that communication. Um, and I guess, uh, I really just wanted to move forward because I was kind of pushing for the Olympics so hard. Then when you see like the writing on the wall, that it's not going to happen, it's like, okay, well, I need something fresh too. And I wasn't really willing to go back to the road full time with any type of stage racing schedule. Like I want to still race on the road, but I don't want to be where I need to train 28, 30 hours a week. Like I, I just can't do that anymore. My body can't do that anymore. So I knew that was kind of out of the question. So from there it was like, well, then do I just race for fun? You know, like train five hours a week and just show up and whatever happens happens. But then the other opportunity came along with Ryan and working with Skyline and hopefully helping to develop some riders. So I saw that and it just seemed like a great opportunity and a great fit because it gave me a little more motivation to get back into the sport other than just like racing for fun. And it's going to give, it's going to push me a little bit too, to actually get some fitness back because I'm not fit right now.
0: (laughs) Nobody's fit right now that lives in Pennsylvania because it's snowing outside. Did I mention it's snowing again here?
2: (laughs) yeah um, <laughs> yeah never-ending snow no but i think that's i think it's thank you for sharing that shane right because like it, it is a very real reality you know missy had a really bad concussion going into trying to make it to rio that impacted everything right and that still still impacts for some days can't train for more than a couple of days in a row without needing to take time off and it's 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 a um, concussion protocol is a huge thing across across the board, but you know I'm I'm super stoked that you because Shane Shane messaged me a couple months ago with like Hey, I'm selling my track bike. If you know anyone that gets it, and I replied said No, you don't. No, you don't. Don't you dare sell that. I need a Madison Cup partner for ne- <laughs> for next season. Don't don't you get rid of that. Um, you know it's like it's, hey, you got to come um, defend. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, it was. It was just scary because I defined, I remember 2014, I was not getting faster. The rest of the world was getting faster. Everything seemed to be going backwards performance wise. Um, and, you know, I had my coaching business and stuff. So I was able to live, live like a normal life, which felt good. Cause when I was in my twenties and stuff and I wanted to quit, it was always based upon like, I want to go be normal. I'm tired of being broke. I'm tired of living in my dad's house. I'm tired of not being able to afford, you know, a car that I want or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I just, um, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I have to keep going. I have to keep going to 2016. And I was just not getting anywhere. I remember I'm sitting at Matt D from Box house, having dinner one night and he just looks at me and he was the first person to say it. And, and he goes, he's like, well, when do you think you're like, like, when do you think enough is enough? And I said, uh, before I could even say, I don't know, he, he just looks at me dead in the face and he's like, because if it's time, it's okay. And nothing changes. You're still exactly who you are. And yeah. like, there's nothing wrong with just saying you're done right now. And I'd never heard that before. Right. I never heard that as like, it's okay to stop. Like you're still going to be liked, respected, enjoy a friend. Right. And that, for me, was a tipping point where I was like, oh, it's actually okay to change what I'm doing, right? And I'm I'm so stoked to hear that you're, you know, still going to be riding, still going to be playing around. You know, now Joan and I just got to figure out how to bring you more full circle and get you to be a coach so in a couple of years you can ride Madison Cup with someone See? you coached in BRL.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. And that's definitely on the coaching side of things, that's something I definitely want to do and get back there. I just, like I said, at the moment, I just see that I can be more help to kids a little bit older right now. Cause I can still compete with them <laughs> now in a little bit when they're kicking my butt, <laughs> then I'll be like, all right, you guys are good. I'm going to go back with these little guys now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, that is, um, I think that's the piece that that is so important right like and and you said it in the in the context of like that that phase of the development timeline where where you know you either learn how to to swim in the big races or you don't and you wash out or you burn out and you have so much knowledge in what is sort of a, a an art a bicycle racing art right like there is an art to successful criterium racing. There is, there's a art to reading that kind of race. There's, there's, you know, so much knowledge that you can pass down by racing with these, with these kids that I think it's awesome that you're doing it. I mean, I know that when I started racing, I was incredibly thankful for the people on my teams that, that mentored me into racing uh, and just got you prepared. And so I think it's really cool that you're, uh, that, that you're going to give that gift of knowledge, you know, to the next generation. I'm going to give it to Maura here. Um, but, uh,
1: yeah. And that's what I'm hoping to share. Cause I mean, I can't make anyone train, uh, but I can help guide them through bike racing.
2: Yeah. So at, at what point does your coming full circle come back to coaching at the track or coaching in general, or what are your, what are your visions and kind of desires with that beyond, beyond just being on the team kind of mentoring? Do you have aspirations that way? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I definitely would love to come coach at the track as for timeline. Honestly, my life is so kind of crazy at the moment with trying to like run a business work, attempt to train now race. Now this new puppy, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make time for it soon. I just haven't figured out how to create it. Yet.
0: <laughs> we'll stop, you know, twisting your arm behind your back. Um, what are you guys thinking in terms of your road schedule? I think that's a that's a that's a big question for all of us right now, right? Like in the in the age of the COVID, we're all sort of waiting to see what's going to happen with the road schedule. Do you guys have a, have a plan? Are you going to be traveling? What's the What's the road look like for you
1: this year? Yeah, we've been trying to just be kind of lax about it because it's just been, you know, this ever-shifting target. Um, But it it seems like things are going to start to pick up, you know, end of May. Hopefully some smaller races will start. And I think those will be kind of the test pilots that people will see if things work smoothly and if the bigger races will want to, you know, move forward. I know a lot of them have selected later dates than what they originally planned. I've just heard that Speed Week stuff is now looking for the end of August. Um, I think they're going to be announcing that pretty soon. And a lot of the races are going to be in September. <laughs> so it's it's a late season, which for me is a good thing. Um, I kind of have always been a bit of a late season rider anyway. So now yeah. throw in the fact that I'm out of shape, I'm really going to need that late season.
0: Well, yeah, certainly Somerville announced that they're a Labor Day event now. And uh, no. and you know, they, they they look to be actually growing with adding that pro race in Easton uh as part of the weekend and and yeah, looking at your looking at your your record of, of race wins, like the Bucks County race is a September race, uh Mayor's Cup was always a a September race. So it's uh I personally I'm so excited to see the road season start late and extend into September because that's how it used to be 100 million years ago when I first started racing. It was really nice racing in September. Um, yeah. And yeah. it was, you know, I, I personally, even though I, I made my living for many years doing cyclocross. It was a, it was a bummer when everybody stopped racing road in July so they could be ready to start racing cross in August, you know, like that was a, that was a big drag. And it's, it's nice in, in many ways, it's nice to see a sort of a resetting of the road schedule where you can, you know, the weather in September is usually awesome for racing bikes. Um, Yeah,
1: especially on the East coast. That's like our prime riding time.
0: Yeah. So I'm a, I I'm with you. I'm not sad to see some of the road events push later in the year. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously we here pushed our UCI dates to the end of July, uh, Tokyo being a factor, but also, you know, you don't want to start people who haven't done a mass start race in a year with a yeah. UCI track race. Hey, good luck, you know, go go for it. Um, so, yeah, so it's good to hear that you guys are, are you know, starting small and, and just like the rest of us, sort of in a bit of season limbo what's going to happen which races are going to happen but are you guys looking at doing something like a trip to Dairyland or Telecup or you know one of the big crit weeks like that
1: uh I don't know about that I know the team's trying to do some of the uh some of the UCI stuff as well too so it won't just be like solely crit focused as for whether or not I'll be going to those races kind of unsure uh probably depends a bit on how much fitness I can build up. And then also if my schedule just allows it to, um, I would like to get up to Canada again and do maybe like the Bose series and stuff. Cause that's always been, I mean, don't get me wrong. That race can be absolutely brutal, but for some <laughs> reason it's worth it. I don't know why. Like it's, it's one of those things where it's satisfying. Like you finish posts and you're like, ah, yeah, like that was worth it. That was really hard, but that was worth it.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's the, that is, as we like to say, the type two fun, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there's some of that stuff that'll be in the mix. Um, and then maybe some of the UCI one day races, like I hope Winston will happen in September and I don't know what else they're going to push in there yet. But it's just sad. Cause it's like, we can all plan for this stuff, but we really don't actually know yet. So it's, it's hard to get your hopes up because this year's just been pushed farther back and farther back and farther back. And it's like, all right, I know I need to be ready just in case, but I don't know for sure, which is a bummer. Let's just keep our fingers crossed, and I guess hope everything goes smoothly.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I'm sort of a, in in a similar, you know, obviously on my middle aged lady, masters racer place. I had major surgery in 2019 to uh, fix my iliac arteries. And so I Mm -hmm. fully intended in 2020 to have legs that worked for the first time in Mm -hmm. several years because I I had, you know, no blood flow to my legs. And miraculously, 2020, I was going to have blood flow and legs that worked again. And I was all excited to race. And then it didn't happen. And I was like, well, this is a good thing. It gives me an extra year to get fitness back and to get to get my legs back under me and now i'm like i really want to test my legs and
1: yeah you just have the itch <laughs>
0: yeah i have the itch to test my legs but i don't but i don't know if i'm going to get to do that again this year so i'm i have my own sort of you know amateur racer version of that happening um so it's nice to know that you guys do
2: too I definitely call a little bit of BS on what Joan just said, though, right? She she says she didn't have fitness or didn't get. That woman was fitter and faster in August and September than any person should be. And then she took a week of vacation and just pushed it to a whole new level. Her fitness score was through the <laughs> roof and she was going out and setting her own Strava records every time she rode. So while she may not have had a number on her back, trust me, her legs worked and she was out doing damage every opportunity she got so like <laughs> maybe we didn't see it in terms of you know r- racing next to someone but no she was she was very very fit last year riding with her was not was not enjoyable and i i had some sort of, <laughs> some sort of fitness and now i'll hard pass
1: well yes it's getting but- ready for the derby
2: andy every day hey, that sunday world championship man
0: I can't wait for group rides to come back. I can't wait. It's going to be so nice to be able to ride with people again someday, especially with legs at work. Um, yeah. You know. Well, Shane, I think it's been awesome catching up with you. And I'm certain our listeners who cheered you on from the stands over the years here and uh, and roadside uh, are really happy to hear what you've been up to. Uh, and I'm certain that uh, they'll be cheering for you when you finally do get to get out on the road. And there is an open invitation for you to come back on the show anytime you want, if you want to catch us up on the latest uh, of your of your doings or if we are going to lure you back for a Madison Cup at some point one of these days. Um, but yeah, you are a, you're a great role model for our sport, and I hope more people, Follow your lead, and uh, and I am personally speaking for Andy as well. Really grateful for the time to get you on here and talk about what you've been up to since um, since we last saw you. And before we let you go, give everybody uh, give everybody where they can follow along with your adventures and also see your awesome woodworking skills. Uh, yeah, let let us know your socials
1: yeah I pretty much just really use Instagram uh my personal one is Optimus Klein one. it was a nickname I was given a long time ago and <laughs> long story but and then our our uh my dad and I's business page that is Walnut Street Woodworks so you can find us there and yeah we're we're busy posting pictures of dogs and furniture and me when I'm out riding bikes
0: and some uh, yoga poses <laughs> yeah
1: and andy i did sell that track bike but i have another one hey
2: that's 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 how it works right like you know i now have two very high-end track bikes and you know i'm probably gonna keep both until something happens (laughs) and and i need to but i did have one last question for shane oh yeah yeah um as a long time t-town person what is your favorite t-town or strongest t-town memory right like like if you think t-town your racing career what stands out as like this is what i this is the first thing i think about when someone says t-town my
1: personal experience or
2: yeah you know like like for me it would be one of two things it would either be like my tandem flying lap record because that was one one hell of a night or, like, I remember a night when I was just spectating as a kid and the crowd was so loud you couldn't hear yourself think, you know, as as, as they came down to the finish line. Like, mm-hmm. just what, what jumps out to you if you think T-Town, you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's my favorite or, or strongest.
1: Yeah, I'd say for me it's kind of funny because it was so recent, but winning Madison Cup with Bobby – was actually probably one of my favorite moments like cuz Bobby you know like he was he's literally been a part of my career in cycling my entire like since I was 13 years old like it's been a long time and he's a good friend it was so fun to be able to go and do that with him it was something that i needed to because there was just a lot of drama going on with selection stuff with USA cycling and it was nice to come back and have that opportunity to ride with him and then to win So that that was awesome for me. I really loved that moment. And then growing up, I'd say, like, as a spectator side of things, it would have, again, been another Madison race. It was Jonas and Jamie just smashing Madison Cup one year. I mean, I I was young. The crowd was massive. And they were just being Jamie and Jonas, just riding like animals. And it was one of those – times where you're watching the race and like as they attack you get like goosebumps on the back of your neck because you're just like oh they're going they're going and yeah i just remember that moment i remember like being on uh, in between turn one and two and you had to fight to get to the wall to watch the race i was like this is awesome <laughs> that's
0: yep. so cool that's so cool well if we don't see you out here racing on the track this year shane at least come spectate you've got a oh open... you'll see me
1: racing okay okay Open invitation. If I'm racing a bike, I can't not race the track. <laughs> yeah, right. I on. did that for a while when I was on the road full time, and then once I came back, I was like, Why haven't I been up here?
0: <laughs> right on. So you heard it here, folks. Shane's coming back to the track. Back on track in twenty twenty one. That's uh that's the uh the big takeaway from this story is uh we'll have Shane Klein back in the uh back in the field this year. I like it. Um thank you again. Uh, thank you. It's been really great seeing you on the Zoom, and hopefully we'll get to see you soon in person. And uh, yes, this has been the Talk of the Tea town podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you're listening, make sure you subscribe, like us, share, and uh, tune in again for more great guests. This has been the Talk of the Tea town podcast with hosts Joan Hanscom and Andy Lakatosh. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode, brought to you by B. Braun Medical, Inc. Head on over to our website, thevelodrome.com, where you can check out the show notes and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.